Our summaries this week contain four cases on family law, all from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. The first is Smith v. Smith, 2023, ARC App 521. The Arkansas Court of Appeals, in reversing and remanding, ruled the trial court erred in the child support computation by failing to consider the father's income from a trust and LLC, even though they were not marital property. Administrative Order Number 10 requires all income from whatever source be considered. Chief Judge Harrison explained, quote, Amy Smith appeals the decree that finalized her divorce from Brad Smith and argues that the circuit court erred in refusing to grant a continuance, refusing to award any child support, setting the amount of alimony, distributing the marital property, and awarding attorney's fees. We affirm the denial of the continuance, but reverse and remand on the remaining issues. The parties married in May 2011 and have two children. On 2 November 2020, Brad filed for divorce. The next day, he amended his complaint and requested primary custody of the children and child support. Amy counterclaimed and requested primary custody of the children, child support, and alimony. In the divorce decree entered in October 2021, the circuit court awarded the parties joint custody of the children and temporary alimony to Amy. Neither party was ordered to pay child support. Amy timely appealed the circuit court's order. Additional facts related to the arguments on appeal will be discussed below. End of quote. Child support computations. The circuit court erred when it failed to consider the income stream from the non-marital entities for computation of child support. Quote, Amy asserts that even if the Brad Smith Family Trust and Brad Smith Farms LLC are non-marital property, Brad's assets and income from the trust and the LLC should have been credited as a source of income because he controls the trust. The evidence showed that Brad received a substantial inheritance from his grandfather that funded the trust and that the trust has approximately $650,000 in liquid assets. Brad is the sole trustee, and as such, he maintains the right to remove property from the trust at any time and to control the distribution of income and principal from the trust. We agree that the circuit court erred in not considering the assets and income from the trust and the LLC as a source of income in calculating child support. In Rowlett v. Bunton, 68 ARC App 228, this court reversed the circuit court's decision to include an inheritance as income for child support purposes, but the decision was overruled by the Supreme Court in Ford v. Ford, 347 ARC 485, because the Supreme Court had purposely provided a very broad definition of income in Administrative Order No. 10. In addition, Administrative Order Number 1032 defines gross income to include earnings generated from a business, distributed profits or payments from a trust fund, and assets available to generate income for child support. Section 32 also specifically contemplates including an inheritance as income. One-time sources of money like an inheritance, gambling or lottery winnings, or liquidating a certificate of deposit, for example, is income for these guidelines' purposes. In sum, 
We hold that the circuit court erred in not considering the income generated by the trust and the LLC because, although these entities were inherited by Brad and are non-marital property, that income should be attributed to Brad under Administrative Order Number 10's directive to interpret income broadly to encompass the widest range of sources. We therefore reverse and remand for the circuit court to reconsider the issue of child support consistent with the guidelines in Administrative Order Number 10, and we specifically note that Administrative Order Number 10 contemplates child support in joint custody situations. End of quote. Alimony, Property Division, and Fees Since it reversed regarding the child support order, the Court of Appeals noted this required reversal on other related issues of alimony, property division, and attorney's fees. Denial of Continuance The Court affirmed the denial of a motion for continuance. Quote, On 21 May 2021, Amy's counsel moved to withdraw due to counsel's obligations as a deputy prosecutor. The motion was granted, and Meredith Wineland was substituted as Amy's counsel. However, just days before the September trial date, Wineland moved the court to release her as Amy's attorney, explaining that her client was hostile and angry and that there was absolutely no working relationship between the defendant and this attorney. End of quote. The trial court granted the request, but ruled the client would have to represent herself. The appellant said she did not wish to represent herself, and her attorney agreed to stay on the case. Quote, We hold that Amy has failed to show that the circuit court abused its discretion in denying the continuance. Amy relies on the right to counsel standard in criminal cases, but the law is clear that there is no Sixth Amendment right to counsel in ordinary civil cases. In addition, Amy argues what is effectively an ineffective assistance of counsel claim to demonstrate prejudice, but she failed to raise that argument below. End of quote. End of decision. Iacampo v. Hoffpower, 2023, ARC App 533. The Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed there was a material change in circumstances to modify visitation from that in the father to joint visitation, but it reversed and remanded for additional factual findings to which version of Administrative Order Number 10 it relied on. It otherwise affirmed giving the mother 60% time in visitation and finding the father in contempt with an order he paid $5,000 following evidence he attempted to thwart visitation and failed to provide information to the mother. The father resided in Arkansas, and the mother moved to Texas, where she obtained a college degree and employment following the divorce. Judge Murphy reasoned, quote, Appellate Cross Appellee Frank Iacampo appeals the April 24, 2020 order of the Mississippi County Circuit Court modifying custody, visitation, and child support. The order further held him in contempt. On appeal, Frank asserts multiple errors made by the circuit court. Appellee Cross Appellate Deborah Hoffpower cross appeals, arguing that the court erred in not awarding her full custody of the party's minor children. We affirm in part and reverse and remand in part. Frank and Deborah were married for 27 years and have nine children together. They were divorced in June of 2010. At that time, seven of the children were still minors and placed in Frank's custody. 
Deborah was awarded visitation, and any transportation cost for visitation was Deborah's responsibility. Prior to the divorce, the family was deeply religious, and Deborah had stayed home and homeschooled the children. After the divorce, Deborah moved to Texas, obtained a college degree, and eventually obtained employment. On February 5, 2018, Frank filed a motion for child support, modification of insurance and expense division, and an award for travel expenses. At this point, four children were still minors. Generally, he alleged that Deborah's income had materially changed since the entry of the decree warranting modification. In that motion, he asked for five years arrearages, for reimbursement for driving the children to and from the airport for Deborah's visitation, and that Deborah pay for the children's health insurance. Deborah answered and filed a competing motion for contempt and change of custody. In that motion, she alleged that a material change in circumstances existed to warrant a change of custody because the children were testing below grade average due to homeschooling with Frank, that Frank was illegally working the children in violation of labor laws, and that Frank isolated the minor children such that they had no friends or activities. She further alleged that Frank violated court orders by denying her visitation and access to medical and school records. Ultimately, the court found that there had been a material change in circumstances that warranted a change in custody and visitation because the evidence clearly established that Frank was hostile and attempted to interfere with and prevent Deborah's visitation. And further, Frank was uncooperative in facilitating Deborah's access to medical and educational records. The court further found that the change in custody and visitation was in the children's best interest. The court considered Deborah's request for sole custody, reasoning that she was the parent more likely to facilitate visitation and was more involved in the children's educational and social needs, but it weighed that consideration against its concern about removing the children from their home nine years after the divorce, relocating the children to Houston, and the effects of being away from their father and siblings. It ultimately found a change from sole custody with Frank to sole custody with Deborah would not be in the children's best interest, but that both parents sharing joint custody would be. The court explained that normally it would not award joint custody when the parents live in separate states, but because the children are homeschooled, it was viable in this case. The court anticipated that this arrangement would further allow Deborah access to the children's medical and educational records without court intervention. The court changed the visitation schedule to provide that the children would spend one week a month, six consecutive weeks each summer, extended holidays, and traditional academic breaks with Deborah. Regarding travel expenses, the court ordered that the parties equally split the costs. Regarding child support, The court denied Frank's request for back support, but it did order the parties to split any medical costs not covered by insurance equally. It further ordered Deborah to pay child support, but the order did not recite her income or the chart amount. Instead, it set her obligation at only the minimum on the chart for three children, reasoning that to order full chart child support and expect Deborah to keep the children seven days per month and holidays and to pay one half of transportation and medical would work a serious hardship on her financially. The court also granted Deborah's motion for contempt against Frank. End of quote. 
a material change in circumstances. The trial court ruled there was a material change in circumstances since the original decree, which had placed custody in the father, but it agreed there was no error in awarding joint custody. Quote, Ultimately, the court found there had been a material change in circumstances that warranted a change in custody and visitation because the evidence clearly established that Frank was hostile and attempted to interfere with and prevent Deborah's visitation, and further, Frank was uncooperative in facilitating Deborah's access to medical and educational records. Deborah argues that the court erred, however, in not awarding her sole custody. After all, Frank was found to be the hostile parent interfering with the relationship between his children and their mother, and Deborah was found to be the parent more likely to facilitate visitation. However, in asking us to reverse the court on this point, Deborah asks us to reweigh the evidence. Here, the court carefully considered in writing how the older children had done well in their father's care and expressed its concern with the effects of public school on the minor children given their age and lack of socialization. It weighed those considerations against Frank's behavior and the value Deborah has as his parent. The court noted Deborah is the parent more concerned with the children's educational and emotional needs. All these factors are supported by this record. End of quote. Visitation. The father argued that the trial court awarded the mother too much visitation, which was the equivalent of 60% in the available time. But the Court of Appeals held there was no abuse of discretion. Quote, Just because the older children, by outward measures, are doing well, does not intrinsically mean that the younger children spending more time with their mother would be detrimental. For the same reasons the change in custody was not clearly erroneous, the expansion of visitation was not an abuse of discretion. As discussed above, the circuit court weighed the conflicting evidence and explained its reasoning in a careful and detailed opinion. We cannot say the court abused that discretion. End of quote. Retroactive child support. There was no error in failing to grant it. Quote, the divorce decree set that support at zero. Frank had the ability to appeal that order at the time and chose not to do so. Further, in the event Frank determined that a modification was in order, he was not foreclosed from seeking judicial review thereof. On appeal, Frank argues that the trial court gave no explanation for its denial of any retroactive child support. Frank is mistaken. The court explained in its letter of opinion, which was incorporated into the order, that Deborah had, despite not having a court-ordered duty to pay support, nevertheless provided support to the children by providing cost of transportation to and from Houston, providing clothing for the children, and providing for their extracurricular activities. End of quote. Remanding for additional findings to clarity as to version of Administrative Order Number 10. Quote, we reverse and remand for additional findings by the circuit court in compliance with Administrative Order Number 10. Further, because any order on remand would necessarily be entered after June 30, 2020, the new guidelines shall be followed. In the event deviation from the chart is appropriate, the order shall also include a justification that explains why the order deviates from the presumed correct amount of support as may be permitted under Section 2. Travel expenses. Because the circuit court tied its analysis regarding travel expenses to its determination of child support, 
We likewise reverse and remand the portion of the order concerning the minor children's travel so that the court may reconsider it as well. End of quote. Contempt. The court affirmed a contempt finding and award of $5,000. Quote, Notably, on appeal, Frank does not disagree that he interfered with Deborah's visitation or access to medical and educational records. Instead, he attempts to justify it by saying that Debbie did the same things, though. Frank also explains that he used profane language because he had just returned from a long and tiring trip and Debbie badgered him and goaded him into becoming angry. Concerning withholding medical information, Frank then says that he had told Deborah that the children were seeing the same doctors they always had. Finally, Frank argues the $5,000 fine was excessive. End of quote. End of decision. Sanchez versus Weeks, 2023, ARC at 531. The Arkansas Court of Appeals noted that quit claiming one's interest in a home while married removes it as marital property. Judge Thayer, in reversing and remanding in part, explained, quote, Here it is undisputed that, prior to the divorce, Weeks quit claimed his interest in the property to Sanchez in exchange for being released from the liability on the mortgage. Arkansas Code Annotated Section 1812-401A provides that a deed of conveyance of real property located in this state by an individual to his or her spouse shall convey to the grantee named in the deed the entire interest of the grantor in the property conveyed, or the interest specified in the deed, as if the spousal relation did not exist between the parties to the deed. Art Code and Section 1812 401a. The purpose of this section is to empower an individual to contract with his or her spouse in regard to real property in the same manner and to the same effect as if the spousal relation did not exist between the parties to the deed. Art Code and Section 1812-401d. Thus, under the statute, a quitclaim deed executed by one spouse to the other conveys the grantor spouse's interest therein to the grantee spouse. Because neither party alleged nor argued that the deed was invalid or that Weeks lacked the proper donative intent, the quitclaim deed of the property from Weeks to Sanchez in Sanchez's individual name resulted in a transfer or gift of Weeks's interest in the property to Sanchez, and the property became the separate property of Sanchez. In light of the foregoing, we reverse the circuit court's finding that the home was marital property. End of quote. A second issue was division of retirement. There was an earlier order from another dissolution which the trial court had to consider. Quote, because the court erred in failing to give full credit to the Cudro entered in the 2006 divorce action between Sanchez and Gatopo, and because that Cudro allows to Gatopo an interest in the marital property of Sanchez and Weeks, we reverse the court's allocation of the 401k plan as between Sanchez and Weeks and remand for recalculation of their interests therein. End of quote. End of decision. McCurch v. Myers, 2023, ARC App 522. The Arkansas Court of Appeals, in affirming an adoption decree, Consider the question of whether a parent who did not communicate with their child because of an order of protection had justifiable reason. Judge Abramson explained, In a petition for adoption filed on October 22, 2021, 
The mother's new husband, Brian, alleged that the appellant had failed without justifiable cause to have contact with or support the child. In a hearing, the mother and grandparent testified, as did Brian. In that hearing, appellant argued the no-contact provision in the divorce decree was a justifiable cause for his failure to communicate since his last visit in 2019. Further, appellant argued that in 2021, the trial court found him guilty of first-degree terroristic threatening and sentenced him to 60 months probation. The circuit court granted the adoption decree without appellant's consent and based it on the failure to communicate without addressing the failure to support. On appeal, appellant argued his failure to communicate was justified, but the Court of Appeals disagreed. Quote, At the time Brian filed his petition for adoption, it had been over two years since McCurch had any contact with MC, and at the time of the hearing, it had been nearly three years. McCurch claims that he could not have communicated with MC without being in violation of two court orders that prohibited such communication. In essence, he claims that his parental duty to communicate with MC should be told while he was subject to the no-contact orders. We are not persuaded by this argument. The circuit court was not clearly erroneous when it found that McCurch's consent to adopt was unnecessary. Both the decree of divorce and the order of protection imposed conditions on McCurch that, if satisfied, would have put him in a position to petition the court to remove the prohibitions against him contacting MC and to establish some sort of visitation with her. However, there is no evidence in the record that McCurch took advantage of those opportunities, and there is no evidence in the record to indicate that McCurch participated in any sort of psychological therapy or anger management program. End of quote. The opinion distinguished Martini v. Price, 2016, ARC 472. Quote, the Martini court found that while the no-contact order applied only to the child's mother and not the child to be adopted, the child was of such a young age that any communication with the child would necessarily have to go through the child's mother, which Martini could not do without violating a court order. Our Supreme Court further held that Martini's failure to communicate with the child for a period of a year or more was justifiably excused. Here, McCurch presented no evidence that he had demonstrated that he could comply with court orders, had learned healthy communication boundaries, and had received intensive psychological treatment, all as required by the divorce decree, or that he had completed batterer's treatment at Conway Counseling as required by the order of protection. In contrast, the father in Martini made every effort to obtain visitation with his child, including exercising visitation to the fullest extent he was allowed, even though he lived out of state and his attendance at the visits required extensive travel on his part. Whereas in the case at Barr, McCurch made no effort to establish any connection with MC. End of quote. The majority opinion also agreed with the trial court that it was in the child's best interest for the adoption to take place. Judge Hickson concurred, quote, I cannot agree with the majority's holding that Adam McCurch's consent to the adoption was not required because he failed significantly without justifiable cause to communicate with MC for a period of one year. I vote to affirm the adoption based on Brian Myers' allegation, made both in his petition and at the hearing, that Adam's consent to the adoption was being unreasonably withheld, contrary to the best interest of the child. 
In my view, that allegation was conclusively proved, and I would affirm the trial court's order because it reached the right decision, albeit for the wrong reason. End of quote. End of decision.